Hello. Welcome to, to the <laughs> podcast. Every time, every time we're like, we should really have some sort of introduction, but we don't. Yeah, so. we got the we got the introduction fucking down. Yeah, we got to work on our, <clears throat> our 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 introductions. Yeah. If no. you guys have any ideas for like cool ways we could introduce this, we still don't even really know how to describe this podcast. So even f- forget not cool, just not fucking pointless as shit. You know. <laughs> yeah. Structured in some way. Some way. Something. So um, here we are. And this is Gig Tales. This is still Gig Tales um, distancing virtual style. So, yep, here we are on Zoom. We are following the trend of all the podcasters. We and are recording remotely. It's working. I will say. I mean, I'm still. I don't. I don't find in the podcast that I listen to that it's really like no. impacted the quality or the. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just I'll- used to it. Occasionally, I'll kind of hear one where I'm like, they couldn't get better quality than that. This sure. is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking some rich ass person. But <laughs> I'm sure, like, it's yeah. not gonna happen. Yeah, it's not like us poor people, like, because we have no yeah. sponsors. Sponsor us. What the fuck? Who, guys, let us, you tell us, and then we'll tell you who should sponsor us. Who should we, like, hit up to sponsor this? So, here's our podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's called Gig Tales. We talk about. Things that happen, tales from gigs, things that happen at different performances because some shit happens, some weird things happen. But in this this land of no gigs, I will say, you know, I have lots, we we have lots of built up content from our lives, but we've been, we have been looking for new ways to kind of, to spice it up, to stay on theme Right. With we're trying to keep this marriage fresh. <laughs> keep, and keep that spark alive. <laughs> we wanna spice things up yeah. in the big room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know when we'll be I mean, I have like one gig coming up, but we don't know mm-hmm. when, you know, we don't wanna like just blow all of our historical content. So we're trying to, you know, diversify. You guys tell us what you like. We've got the tried and true questions crockpot. We we introduced some different stuff. Um yeah, over, we did? over this time. Yeah, what did we do? We did something different. I don't know anymore. Did we? I, at, I don't even know. I looked at the calendar the other day. I was like, wait a minute, when did summer happen? Like it full ass <laughs> happened and it's gone. Gone. And like I don't remember it happening. No. Nope. It didn't happen. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I love the fall, so I'm like fine with it, but. I'm I'm such a summer bitch. I always have been, always will be. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it will come around again. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking better. Who knows anymore in these uncertain these, times, they say. It's un- unchartered territory. <laughs> these unprecedented oh times. Very Christ unprecedented. Almighty. I know. Um, so here we so, are. So Terry had here, a new idea. Is where I'm, I was trying. I'm I was not, trying to. Le- oh. I was trying to lead it up to like giving you credit for your your new format idea that we're going to try out here today. I am the content manager of this <laughs> podcast. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I like that. And that's it. I don't do anything else. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> you do so much more. Today. I just show up and sometimes I'm wearing a shirt and sometimes I'm not. Some, <laughs> well, 
I'm usually wearing a shirt. Pants are questionable, but you can't really see that. We do have iced coffee, so don't worry about that. We've still kept our iced coffee traditions alive. We're holding our cups up to the camera as if the whole world can see us right now. Cheers. Our, our, our insulated, double-walled iced coffee. What flavor are you doing today? Uh, banana with, I did some Hershey's syrup in it. It's like a, a banana split. Like a banana split. Holy yeah. shit. Ugh. I'm being a basic pumpkin bitch right now. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Just needed it. I needed it. I'm not. I'm not ready. I'm not against the pumpkin spice coffee, but that that's such a statement to me and such a commitment. Mm-hmm. Once you go over to pumpkin spice, yeah. I feel like so. I just I can't do it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Terry, what do we have for the the fine the fine folks, Greg? So um, we've been so Greg and Brent. We thought you guys would like it. Um, so we've been talking about switching up, kind of like adding some new content, doing movie reviews, and then um, very shockingly, I have to say, uh, I was I felt a physical reaction when I opened my internet browser and saw that Chadwick Boseman had died. Um, I wouldn't say I was like the hugest fan of his, but that one fucking hit me. I mm-hmm. was very shocked by that. He was 43 years old. He yeah. was at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd been talking about doing some biopic reviews. And uh, when we saw that we he passed, we thought it would be a good time to do the review of what I have always considered to be the best biopic of all time hands down. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, the second after we saw it for the first time, Sean and I looked at each other and went, that is the best fucking biopic I've ever seen. <laughs> you you is... said that on this podcast. So it's recorded. It's not like you're oh. jumping on the bandwagon and just like, no. Oh, everybody's watching it now. Like, which is great. Everyone should watch it. And what, you know, what better reason than to honor him and his talent. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think you did, you have said that from day one. So I do believe I've mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I stand by it. It's so good. And we'll get into it. So um, we're talking about get on up the James Brown biopic, which came out around 2013, I think. Um, so let's, let's do it. I guess let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, so I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it yet. And obviously Terry had talked about it on the podcast before. Um, so it was on my, it was on our list, but I hadn't seen it. Um, so I watched it in preparation for this episode, but Terry, you watched it again, right? So, so I just have like the first impression. I haven't like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot that I missed. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of hear you take us through it. And And I think, yeah, I think when you're watching it again, too, it gave me more of the opportunity to like write stuff down and like make notes and stuff. Whereas when you're taking it in for the first time, you're just like taking it in. Right. And I was like painting my nails while I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I didn't like it. I just have a hard time with anything. Just like sitting and watching something. I have to be kind of like doing something else. So if I do something that's like crafty or like artsy like that, it makes me not go to like my phone or my computer and do something that's like mentally distracting. Can I say that that I'm actually kind of glad you said that because that has become a side effect of this, the current event for me. Mm. Um, I can no longer just watch TV. I have to be doing a second thing, which 
seems so bizarre, I know. right? It's really not good. It's not something I'm proud of. It's something I'm trying no. to like, work and on. And so I've been like playing a stupid little game on my phone, but oftentimes now like I'll sew, I'll try to do little projects, whatever, because yeah, for that exact reason, I found myself just playing a fucking app game on my phone while I watched a full ass movie. And it's like, what world are we living in where I can't, where one form of media isn't enough. I, I have to have a full other like game going. It's like, really, it's really bad. It's just really bad. Yeah. Oh, not... definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking how TV has become omnipresent in, in mm-hmm. our home. Mm-hmm. And I almost don't even find it enjoyable anymore. Mm. That's not exactly true. I fucking love TV. <laughs> but it's almost, I can't explain it. It's almost just like the air that you breathe or like drinking a drink. Mm-hmm. Like, Do you just have it on all the time? I try not to. I've been mm-hmm. trying to turn it off. Um, but it's on a lot more than it usually is, which mm. we watch a lot of TV. So it's usually on a lot. Yeah. And now it's just like we have to turn on the TV at night. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's been very mindless. So yeah. Yeah, we don't we only really like put it on to watch something and we like, yeah. you know, we'll DVR certain things or we'll get into like certain series. But there's always music or like a podcast yeah. on it's like, very odd to have nothing happening. Yeah. So I think some of it is just like the sound, like the background, like the noise needing mm-hmm. like either a TV on or like music or something. Music happening. or podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, ca- we cannot have a silent house because no. if it's silent in the house, the dogs hear something, then they start barking. Right. So we well, always have something. <laughs> well, put on, go <laughs> everyone run and go watch, get on up and don't do other shit while you're watching it. Give just it your attention. It. I mean, if you got to get your fidget spinner out to keep your hands busy, go for it. But we so, both would highly recommend it. So, yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, a spoiler alert, though, right, Terry? I mean, this well, is going to be a big spoiler, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it and you don't like spoilers, hit pause on this podcast, go watch it and then come back and then you can discuss it with us. Because if yes. you're like us, then you talk out loud by yourself to the podcasters. <coughs> Correct. Yeah. If you go watch it right now, we will sit here in silence for two hours <laughs> and 15 minutes. We'll take a pause. We'll leave the blank space on this episode so everyone can go watch it. Mm-hmm. If you've seen it, go watch it again. Get your notebook. <laughs> Make notes. Take notes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll come back and compare. Okay, go. Come back. No. <laughs> okay. So let's let's so we're start. Back. <laughs> Here we okay. are. Everyone back. Wow. Welcome Wasn't back. That great. It was so great. Oh. Uh, so even so, better than the first time. It was just, <laughs> I'm glad I rewatched it. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I picked up on a few more things and I added some stuff to my notes here. Uh, so so let's start from the very beginning, as Maria Von Trapp would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to note that, so one of the things I like about this biopic is that it goes in a very different direction than a lot of the standard biopics of like the early 2000s did. There was like a format, mm-hmm. but in some ways it sticks exactly to that format. Mm-hmm. And item one 
opening scene, opening second of the movie, we see an older James Brown, presumably in his 70s or 80s, walking down a long hallway in like a (laughs) visibly aged and he he hears the crowd. Full on Dewey Cox. That's exactly (laughs) what I have written in my notes. Falls into the exact Dewey Cox formula. Uh, Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he performs. (laughs) Um, starts with an old man walking out to a to a performance remembering his his past his entire fucking career yeah <laughs> his entire life i do that now i just i'm gonna i'm about to go on at a bar and i just stop and i think about my entire fucking life before <laughs> every time ashley needs to think about her whole life <laughs> don't talk to thinks. her she's thinking about her whole life so the opening scene is my probably my favorite scene in any movie ever. And um, I will also say that what I had going on during this movie, you were painting your nails. I had my phone and my laptop fact checking everything. Did nice. that really fucking happen? Nice. So we cut oh, back good. to James, James Brown. There's also a lot of cutting back and forth in time, a lot of it in mm-hmm. this. So I'm going to try to go chronological as opposed to the exact order the movie goes in. Yeah. Um, but the very first thing we see is, so it's 1988 and James Brown pulls up to his, he owns a strip mall. He owned a business and someone, a company, an insurance company was having like a seminar there. Yes. I was very confused. I will, yeah. I will admit this scene is very, it was very alarming. I was like, what the fuck is this movie? It's very alarming. It's very bizarre. And it is very 100% true. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So so he, so James Brown pulls up and some woman's using his bathroom and he pulls up and he goes in and he notices that someone uses his bathroom. And then he goes out to his car and he gets a gun and he's like, Oh hell no. And he walks into this (laughs) seminar and he starts giving this long speech while waving a gun at them. Mm -hmm. And they're all, shaking with fear and um this actually happened james brown walked into he owned a uh i don't know what i'd call it, like a facility mm-hmm. um but he uh and he, they're having like a seminar and he threatened them with a gun because he accused them of using his bathroom <laughs> which which led to now again it cuts back in and out a lot yeah. so we're not going to see this till later but his very famous car chase high speed car chase with the police so the police came after him okay. <laughs> he had a gun right. this this man was a lunatic loose cannon like these people these poor people are like <laughs> hiding they're screaming they're like run, jumping underneath the chairs yeah they're dropping like, to the floor. Yeah. yeah. He's like giving a sermon, waving around a gun. Like, yes, <laughs> that's amazing that that happened. Holy shit. He didn't act. Did he hurt anyone? No, no, no. one was hurt. But okay. um, he, yeah. So James Brown, another thing I like about this movie, we'll get into a little bit more detail <clears throat> later. But um, They don't go super into detail about it, but it doesn't shy away from the fact that he was a very problematic person. Mm-hmm. He was very violent. He was very abusive. His daughter released um, her memoir. Is that the right word? Yeah. yeah. Biography. It's a, it's a biography for cowards. Mm-hmm. Um, she about him and uh, the details of abuse are much more descriptive. Mm-hmm. We see his abuse and his violence in this, but he was, he beat the shit out of his wives. Ugh. He beat like 
openly, there's a story I looked up again while I was fact checking all this. There's a story of him beating the shit out of his wife and on their front lawn mm. in front of his like five year old daughter. Oh. And she jumped. Yeah. She jumped on his back and oh, finally fled. Yeah. It's so awful. It's it is. yeah. Yeah. And, but so I guess let's go back to the movie. Right. Yeah. So, yep. Cutting back and forth in time through history, um, we we see James Brown growing up very poor. He was in rural Georgia, I believe. Um, he grew up in extreme poverty, and his dad was abusive. He beat his mom, and he beat him. Um, so that happened. You know, children of abuse often become abusers or abuse victims themselves. So you know, we know that that happens. It ended up happening to his daughter. There was another um, story I'll retell here that is not in the movie, but in her biography, she told a story about how, so after his, after her dad beat shit out of her mom, finally her mom fled with the kids. But what she didn't realize was that children of abuse often become abusers or victims of abuse later Mm -hmm. in life. She ended up in an abusive marriage And she called him to say, like, what do I do? How do I get out of it? And he said, you know what? You're not different than anyone else. Marriages have problems. you got to figure it out and then call me back when you do. Oh, <laughs> it, shit. Yeah. It was just a pattern. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he didn't see anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. So not to speak ill of the dead, but, you know, you've got to be honest about stuff that. Yeah, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. And I think it happens. I mean, it happens all the time. And I think it's, uh, it's hideous, and it's awful. But also, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that, you know, we see that these people who are like put on a pedestal and celebrated, like they're not perfect. They're not exempt. A lot of times they're often plagued by these things, because there's a lot of weird distortion of like power and ego and I can do whatever the fuck I want because I'm James yep. Brown. Like he talks yeah. in third person. <laughs> like, <laughs> he really did that too. <laughs> By the end of the movie, Tom's like, oh my God, say your own name one more time. <laughs> like, I, can't. I will go back in time. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you got to so deal it, with these it, things. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And I very much appreciate I didn't read her biography, but I read a summary of it and reviews of it just in my fact checking process. And I was like, wow, holy shit, they actually kind of like toned down his violence a little bit for this movie. But I appreciate that they put it in. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. Because no one's perfect. And like, as a side note, I know, like, I know I make fun of John Lennon and like um, Kurt Cobain a lot and like, but uh, seriously, like John Lennon is someone who had a lot of problems and, you know, he had some abuse issues and some other issues that I like to kind of make fun of him. But that doesn't mean that I think either one of them were like worthless or that their life didn't have value. I don't think like, Oh good. Fuck them. Like, I just want to be clear. I do make a lot of jokes about them, but I in no way think, anything positive about their deaths. I think they yeah. both deserved to live and yeah, have good lives despite their flaws. Yeah. Um, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just in case anyone yeah. thinks I, <laughs> Greg, stop judging us, Greg, Greg. <laughs> Greg, I don't want you to think I hate John Lennon and don't care about his life. I do <laughs> I really do. Actually, honestly, this movie kind of made me think about that. I was like, I hope people don't think I'm like making light of his death because I don't. Um, okay, so we go back in time. Um, 
Oh, so there's a side note. So before we go back to its history, so it goes old man walking down the hall, then it cuts to him performing in Vietnam, right? They're flying in on a plane. Yes. Is that before the gun wielding craziness? So in history, yes. So this is where the the timeline gets weird. In the the movie, it happens after the gun wielding. Right. It goes like right into the gun wielding. I was like, what the (laughs) fuck is happening? What is this movie? It goes Dewey Cox, old man walking down a hall, remembering (laughs) his life. To gun, gun wielding, right? To flying mm-hmm. into Vietnam, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> yes, like, like flying in, like, <laughs> yes, yeah. So being Turbulence. shot at, yeah. yeah. There's so there's a lot of like winking at the camera in this. He approaches LBJ at one point, and he said he needs to bring his music to Vietnam because they're going to appreciate it more. Um, and. He so they do, and while they're flying into Vietnam, his their plane comes under fire or is near fire. So I looked this up. I couldn't find any evidence that they came under any direct fire while they were landing. There also isn't anything that says they didn't. Like, yeah, it's possible they could have been flying into a turbulent time, but I don't know if they were fired upon. Yeah. Okay. Um, a light highlight of this is they get off the plane. So basically we're seeing James Brown at the highlight of his career at this point, flying into Vietnam. And the corporal tells James Brown when he's going to get on, how he's going to perform, how long, how it's going to happen, blah, 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 whatever. And James Brown, I love this. This is one of my favorite lines, turns to the corporal and says, I don't tell you how to fight your war, corporal. So don't tell me when, where, how long I can be funky. And <laughs> I don't know if he said that. I know. I hope he did. But I hope he did. I wanna, I'm going to weave that into some of my real life conversations. Like that's going to be my new tagline, I think, in life. <laughs> don't tell me when, where, or how long I can be enter thing that they're telling you not to be Oh, here. I'm going to use funky. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just always. It is awesome. You're getting, you're getting pulled over. You're like, ma'am. Don't, don't you try to tell me. Listen, officer. Listen. <laughs> Tell me when, where, how long I can be funky. Listen. Like, I will absolutely be asked to take a field sobriety test. <laughs> <if that happens. laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I. So that's a pretty crazy ass entrance into a gig. I mean, I have never been shot at while I'm flying into a gig. <laughs> yeah, when so, your helicopter is landing. Bye. Yeah, when I'm flying in, when I'm landing, um, that's pretty nuts. But I mean, yeah. it like tons of you know artists go over uh-huh. overseas See. into you know mm-hmm. different places during war times, and I'm sure that they've encountered some shit. I'm sure there's like a lot of risk there. I think you know, yeah. obviously they put them into like safe areas as much as they can and stuff. But I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uncertainty i would imagine so it's a freaking war zone yeah yeah um so that's just like one of the little side scenes cutbacks they throw in there at the beginning it's very like cut back and forth and it's hard to keep track of the time but then it gets a little more consistent so Mm -hmm. we go into his past finally he remembers like back into his past it says 1939 i'm gonna start going chronologically here um we see him growing up like i said extreme poverty his troubled parents his dad had a lot of violence issues. He beat his mom. Um, he beat his son, James. Um, we see him growing up like in the deep, deep South. Um, he, I tried to fact check this. Uh, we see him basically bear witness 
to a lynching and he steals the shoes off of a corpse. I didn't say, I didn't see anything that said that didn't happen, but like it would have been common Mm -hmm. in that area at that time. Um, Yeah. And like shoes were hard to come by Mm -hmm. after the depression. So it kind of during and after the depression. Mm -hmm. um, So it makes sense. So he's not living the best life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So his mom finally leaves his father. She up and, takes off and they get into a fight because she says she's going to take James and he threatens her and all the, you know, they get into a huge fight. So fact check. Um, this isn't exactly true. His mom did eventually leave his father, but not in this fashion. And she often used like leaving with James as a threat for him. Okay. But then his father in the cycle of abuse, apparently that's when he would threaten to like beat her the most was when she said she'd leave with him. So um, she did finally leave the family later. So this okay. is like a she did leave, but not she didn't yeah. leave those two alone. Yeah, yeah, they 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 go to live with his family in Atlanta in a brothel in one of his aunt's brothels. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she actually went with them, and she left them after she moved to okay. New York. Okay. Yeah, she couldn't she couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> um, very sad. Very, very, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. He grew up that way. Yeah. He was like used kind of as a, you know, as a pawn in his parents, like back and forth and their, yeah. you know, crazy ass relationship and yeah, all of that, which is just, it's gotta be. Just and I had, yeah, awful. I had a friend years ago who had to up and leave her child in the middle of the night with her abusive husband, but like for a similar reason. And it's, uh, it's awful. Yeah. Uh, it sucks. So she did like, quote unquote, take off on him, but mm, yeah, yeah. T- tough situation. Yeah. Not a, not a good life. Yeah. Um, so the family really did move to, into one of his aunt's brothels when he was young. So, um, <laughs> In the movie, the mom is gone at this point, and him and the dad move, but they really did move into his aunt's brothel. So the he kind of seemed like, so nice, though. Like, yeah, she yeah. seemed great. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, if you're going to be a madam, everyone's got to love you. You can't be an, a true. rude madam. That's true. That's true. You, you got to be everyone's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it shows him, we see him walking like down the street to a loud church, and everyone's like singing and playing music and stuff. And there's this like preacher who is clearly just like the embodiment of future James Brown, the way he's like <laughs> dancing and yelling in his outfit and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, got it. That's how he became James Brown. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> like role model. I see you. That's who I'm going to be. Yeah. And I made a note here. Yeah. He's obviously the model. People are just walking around in the church with tubas. <laughs> and <laughs> playing whole ass like 90 pound rap and like trombones and like fucking sousaphones and shit oh my god oh my god i was crying you know church tubas yeah church tuba everyone has a church tuba mine is the piano forte (laughs) which i carry around as i play it it's on um, like a belt. It's on a belt. With your harpsichord? Or, yeah. Piano forte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If anyone wants to tell us the difference between a piano forte and a harpsichord, please do, because I can no longer remember. 
UMass Lowell, eighty thousand dollars. Well, yeah. So at different points in the movie, too, and again, I'm going chronologically, not in order of the movie. Mm -hmm. There's one part where we see a flashback to his childhood. Do you remember this? Where he was put in a fighting ring at a country club. Yeah. And they painted numbers Numbers. on them. Yeah. And people made bets Mm -hmm. on the kids. Yeah. So of like who was going to win and the kids had to like viciously fucking fight each other. Yeah. Oh, so I looked that up and I couldn't find anything that said it did or did not happen to James Brown, but apparently that was a fucking thing. Like child fighting for entertainment. Like it's like, it's, Oh my God. Oh, it's like dog fighting, but with humans and it's with humans. It's bad enough with dogs. Like, Ugh. Oh my God. And they were very like different. Awful. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it happened, but there were like such different sizes and he was like kind of, you know, in the movie, yeah. he's like, you know, one of the little ones or whatever, but like, Oh my God, that's just like, how do a bunch of adults just, I mean, there are certain things in history where I can completely see, like it was a different time. There were different beliefs. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't make it right. But like I can see how people thought certain things were okay or, you know, got sort of caught up in it or didn't know any better or whatever. Like I get it. It's easy for us to sit here and look at the past. It's like very Monday morning quarterback, but then there are just some things that I'm like, I don't know how that was like ever. Yeah. Okay. Like with kids, that's just like, so, so hard. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. and I I mean, it's important to note, too, that the patrons were white and that the children were black. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Jim Crow South, like... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of how people at the time could look at that and say, I'm not excusing that. I'm saying, like, that was the mentality at the time, but that was fucking upsetting as shit. Um, So I don't know if it happened. It could have. I didn't... I didn't dig deep enough to see like a specific instance of it happening to him. But yeah, that's a real thing. But Mm -hmm. as a side note, uh, James Brown did have a brief stint as a boxer before he went to prison. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) He was like the funkiest boxer. He's like, listen. He was like, punch me. Punch me. Come on. Come on. Take it to the bridge. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. I'm picturing like James, James Brown and like Rocky. Like, I can't. <laughs> can we have a crossover movie? Yes. Somehow. Rocky oh. 17. Yeah. The James Brown inning. <laughs> I don't know. I've given up. I've given up. What? The- oh, man. What man, is happening oh in my house right now? My dogs are being insane. They're I don't James know if you can, like, <laughs> the couch is moving. It just looks like things are flopping around behind Terry right now. I can't actually make out dogs. It just looks like big couch, couch cushions flying around behind her. Become the ocean. So, um, like as a side note, in this moment when he's flashing back to the boxing moment, we see him like whenever he's in a difficult position or something like troubling or upsetting or violent, he kind of starts just like fantasizing about music. 
Mm-hmm. So like in this scenario, he's just fantasizing about the band that's playing. Like, right. and I like that they show him, he's like using music as an escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He like kind of goes there in his head and he's like watching the, the band, but he's, yeah, he's, fan- yeah, yeah. He's fantasizing. He's right. It's the escape, which I think is uh, music tends to be an escape for many artists and many people who, you know, become musicians for sure. Yeah. That's why I liked that little Mm -hmm. uh, mechanism that they did where, yeah, yeah. It's an escape, right? Yeah. So, uh, so side note. So we're doing a lot of cutting back and forth here, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So at one point it cuts back to 1964. I'm going to start going real chronological soon, I promise. Okay. And it shows him performing on TV in 1964. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I wanted to check was, was this Chadwick Boseman singing or was this James Brown? Mm-hmm. And the answer is in a very Bohemian Rhapsody kind of way, it's both. Okay. Um, so a lot of times when we see him kind of singing to himself or like not in a performing setting, it's Chadwick. Okay. He did some of the singing, but a lot of times when he's on stage singing, especially when his band is backing up, there are recordings of James Brown singing. Yep. Yep. So it's a little bit of a mixture. Mm -hmm. Um, However, Chadwick Boseman did all of the dancing, all of it. Wow. All of it. Which is amazing. Yeah. So there are lots of like close ups of the feet, like the fancy footwork and like bat shots from the back that like definitely could have been a stand in yes. or whatever. But wow, that's cool. No, I mean, it's all man. him. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. I'm like, is this all him? Yeah. Yes. He did it. Holy, wow. holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I mean, I'm so sure that took like tons, like, like Bohemian Rhapsody, like Rami Malik, like uh, just studying the, yeah. just the, yeah. The, the like, mannerisms and the little things, the nuances and things like that. And I actually think James Brown and um, Freddie Mercury are two good examples of people who not are just technically skilled dancers, but Mm. their movements are so particular. Like even when he's like Teddy, um, I mean, Bobby, I'm sorry, has him under like the, um, the Cape and he's doing, I don't know. Yeah. There are just these movements he has that aside from the fancy footwork of the dancing, which is very technically skilled, he also just has like a movement style yeah. that I think it's hard to replicate. Yeah, yeah. It's very unique, very distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we see him, he's going to perform on stage and he's kind of fighting with the person who's making the lineup. They're like, Hey, you have to go um, before the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones are going to, clothes Mm -hmm. and so he's kind of fighting it blah 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 but they're like you have no choice you have to go on so he goes on stage he walks off stage and we see a young Mick Jagger and (laughs) Keith Richards Mm kind of like grooving along to the music and seemingly enjoying it and James Brown walks past them and says welcome to America and he kind of brushes past them so side note this movie was produced by Mick Jagger what (laughs) What? So that really happened. Yeah. And the guy, <laughs> the little, the, the guy that was like Mick, I was like, wow, it looks like a young Mick. Like it was pretty good. I was like, that's really like good cast. casting yeah. for like someone who doesn't do or say anything. Yeah, so to stand there and look like Mick Jagger. Yeah. He probably got to cast himself. He was probably like, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm going to do this one thing. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I didn't know he had anything to do with it. I didn't even know he was, he produced things. 
Yeah, I don't know if maybe he just wanted a hand in it because he was friends or like acquainted or whatever yeah. with James Brown. Maybe um, mm-hmm. I didn't do that in my fact checking. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so we talked about his. Um, oh, and as a side note, another quote that I want to highlight: it shows him at performing on TV at like a ski lodge kind of thing, and there's just like a bunch of white people in sweaters, and they're like dancing and stuff and James mm. Brown kind of turns there's a lot of like winks literal and figurative at the camera at yeah. this and so Chadwick as James Brown turns to the camera and goes oh hell no I'm at a honky hoedown <laughs> <laughs> he's the funk like the funkiest yeah. man on earth and he's at a ski lodge with like a bunch of kind of like wienery yeah. white people yeah who are like complaining <laughs> that there were black people like at the yeah in the yeah. pool or whatever yeah Mm. Yeah. Yep. Allison Janney, by the way, like lots of big, and she's just like this side person who yeah. says something for two seconds. Yeah. Well, there were, yeah, there were a lot of big people in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're going to go start going a little more chronological. So we talked about his childhood. He grew up, his mom left. It's a little bit, the timing's a little bit off, but they went to live in a um, brothel with his aunts and then so now we're in 1949 so this is pre-famous James Brown pre-singing James Brown even and we see Mm. him running from yeah we see him running from the cops and uh he had stolen a suit so he did go to prison for stealing a suit uh I don't know what purpose he stole the suit for Mm. um but this is where he and so he's at the prison um like I don't know it would be like the Johnny Cash being there of the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was a juvenile prison. He was young. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we see these uh, singers, perform- like a singing group performing. And this is, and he, he, so his future bandmate is up there. That's where he meets his best friend, Bobby Bird, and longtime bandmate. And he gets into a fight in the crowd and everything. And um, this is where he meets Bobby Bird is basically in prison, singing in prison. Wow, okay. Yeah, isn't that, yeah, that is very true. Yeah. (laughs) So he, Bobby Bird had discovered he could sing after he heard there was a guy called Music Box at the prison, and he heard him singing. Yeah, that's what they called him. (laughs) And that's your prison name? Like, it's like the least badass name. This here screwdriver, we call him that because he stabs people with screwdrivers. (laughs) <laughs> this here's poison Pete. He'll get you when you're not looking. And this here's music box. He's got the voice of an angel. <laughs> He'll melt you like I, with this with his sweet vocals. Like what is that? It's so not He'll stop you in your tracks. Your no. music box. I guess music boxes are super fucking annoying because they never play when you want them to, and then they they turn on when you don't want them to, and they're creepy as fuck if it's like at nighttime. Yeah. And yeah. the song's never good. No, it's like, no. What's the point? They're just creepy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So he was 16 at the time, and he so he meets Bobby Bird. Mm-hmm. Bobby Bird actually helps him to get paroled because he was supposed to serve, I think, three years or something like that. But he got him to go to the parole board and get released on a um, like work release program. Mm-hmm. And uh, James Brown promised the parole board uh, at his hearing, he promised them he would, quote, sing to the Lord and as like a way to get them to release him. And a local business owner promised him work at the Lawson Farm. Mm-hmm. So, oh, my yeah. God. 
<laughs> the actor that plays Bobby Bird. Oh. Oh my god, he's in um fuck uh what's his name? Ellis Ellis Nelson Nelson Ella Nelson Ellis. I think so. I think so. He's like he's in True Blood. He's Lafayette in True Blood and he is like phenomenal. I think he like went to Juilliard. He's like a real like studied classical actor. It's um, Nelson Ellis yeah. and he yes. also died 3 years ago. He's he was just insane. So what? fucking talented. He was 39 years old. My God. When we were, so when we were watching this and we looked it up and Sean's like, holy shit, this guy's dead too. And we're like, they're all dead. It's terrible. He was awesome. We loved him. He was my favorite part of the movie. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. Um, Yeah. So he goes to um, stay and work with them. So now we're in like 1955. He's living with the family, Bobby Bird's family, singing in a gospel group at church. Um, we see him performing with the Famous Flames, which is his first band mm-hmm. or group, whatever you want to call. And they're at a club where Little Richard is performing. And fact check, this really fucking happened. Wow, they're pretty <laughs> accurate. That's, that's yeah, good. it's good to see. Um. So he really did contact little Richard while they were performing in Macon, Georgia. And I don't know if he came out to perform there. I don't know the details of it, if he was already going to be performing there and that's why they performed there or like vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he really did meet up with little Richard and they like came up together. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and another as a side, like little highlight, his, just his whole fucking interaction with little Richard, who is obviously gay the guy who plays him is so good uh the whole interaction is so good but yeah little richard basically set him up he was like contact my manager here's the people you got to be in touch with wow like we're all gonna do it yeah really really good performances in this i don't know Mm -hmm. if this won any awards i don't know hmm i'm gonna have to look that one up so we're in 1955 and on famous flames. They start performing more. They're touring. Um, James gets married to his first wife who we never see. I don't think. I don't, I don't remember. No, I don't think we do. Um, they catch the attention of a record company, um, which is relatively true. The timing, some, some of the little nuanced timing of this is a little bit fuzzy, um, but basically, right. I mean, it's a, you know, biopic. They only have so much time. They can't be like, well, actually, then he went to the grocery store. Then he brushed his teeth. Um, so he did. They got the attention of a record company and they got on a label and blah, 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 which meant a lot at the right time, at, which meant a lot at that time. Mm-hmm. So as a side note, which as another thing I think is really important. I think they could have gotten into it a little more, but I don't know, maybe I'm not Mick Jagger. I don't want to say what <laughs> He did oh, call all the shots. So Spoiler alert. I wasn't supposed to tell our audience I'm not Mick Jagger, was I? Oh, uh, why would you? Well, you can edit it out. It's fine. Mick, sponsor us. <laughs> um, we see like little glimpses of the racism and like the prejudice that he faced uh, in their early career. So we see them recording their hit, Please, 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 and a record exec is like making fun of them and using racial slurs against them and stuff. And it's like, that's like, that's his job. And he's like treating these people this way. 
this guy who's so talented and it's just something they had to deal with. And then the record exec goes on to tell James Brown that his audience um, are a racial slur who can't afford records. Um, And I looked this up and I don't know if that man said that exactly, but yeah, he was basically told like you you're supposed to perform for black people. Like, that's what your music is. Uh, and it's so upsetting that like, ugh, I don't even know what to say about that. That man could say that and that that was an actual business model they were allowed to follow. And that there's a concept that certain types of colors and genders of people listen to certain music and buy certain music. Like, it's not whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Also, just generally treating them like shit. Um, so I think it's important that they, I mean, right. I think it's important that they show that because that's the reality is that you could be the most famous, mm-hmm. the heart quote, you know, what was he called? The hardest working man in show business. And it didn't matter. Yeah. They were like, Nope, your people don't have money and they're not going to buy your records. And that's basically what was said to him. Yeah. And he was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to go play at a fucking honky ho down and make a bajillion dollars. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah, it show. it's like, I think that a lot of people, I mean, maybe I should just speak for myself, but I think that it's easy to think that like the industry has gotten, gotten like more shallow or more convoluted, like more recently with like how commercialized everything is and with social media and how everyone has to always like look pretty and think about marketing and everything is marketing and every tweet you send and whatever, but it's always been like that. It's just in different, you know, across different technologies. Like, your audience, your fan base, your marketing has always been everything. Mm-hmm. It's never, it was, yeah, it's never been a hundred percent about talent. It was just perfectly legal then to be overtly racist and sexist <laughs> and be like, no, your music is for dames. Right. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Um, so around this time, they changed the name of the famous flames to James Brown and the famous flames. This right. is true. They go through like some iterations mm-hmm. and James did replace the band's management. Um, and in true biopic fashion, we see the band, the backup band getting totally shafted over, like in yes. for preference of one band member. Yes. Yeah. Very, very Dewey Cox. Very much. And very real life, I feel like. I mean, <laughs> it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they went through some like name changes and some legal shit that yeah. um, I'm not even going to get into because the legalities of the name changes and how they were paid are its own like podcast for like music attorney yeah. podcasts. Yeah. It's so in depth. Um, so in 1959, we see the flames. So these are, this is James Brown and the famous flames at this point performing at the Apollo theater. Um, which most of these performances, they're actually James Brown's voice recorded when we see him perform here. Um, And we see the reappearance of James's mother. So she, they're like backstage Backstage. living large and his mom shows up seemingly out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like everyone get out of here. Yep. Um, Fact check. This isn't exactly true. Okay. Uh, so his reunion with his mother was actually orchestrated by his first wife. No, his second wife. Okay. Who who we haven't met yet at this point in the movie. Right. Right. So the timing's a little off. 
And she helped like to reconcile them. She apparently she called his mother and like, then they spoke on the phone in advance and he knew she was coming. Mm -hmm. So it's a little dramatic in the movie. In the movie, it just seems like she like literally appears and like, she like saw the advertisement for James Brown. And then she like, but it's like, she shows up backstage. is like, how did she, did she just walk up? Like, Hey, I'm Jane, James Brown's mom. Like it's, it's even like, it's kind of, covered loose loosely the writing on that piece is a little loose in the yeah in the movie but, but it is a yeah. movie so yeah. we gotta right. give them some you know they yeah. did reunite apparently at the apollo so we gotta yeah. give them that but it was apparently they knew about it and apparently like their relationship was a little strained um which is why like his wife had to kind of get them back in touch together yeah but once um and this isn't covered in the movie, but once they did um, reunite, he actually took care of his mother until her death, his elderly oh, mother. Okay. Yeah. And he died not like two or three years after her. Oh, wow. So they did like reunite and have a decent relationship. Yeah. Wow. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I sometimes get annoyed. Holy hell. With certain, um, the puppy parade is happening in full force in my house right now. The extra, I like the extra co-hosts. Hey, man, it's everywhere. Like every call, you know, every everyone's used to this shit. We have kids, kids in the background, is. dogs in the background, stuff happening. I mean, this is this is, this is we're humans. Is he? Even, I'm beeping his collar. He does not care. <laughs> <laughs> he must really want whatever it is. Uh, it's Hancock he's going after. Oh, oh they're going after each other. Yeah, they're just chasing each other. It's a really good time. And now I forget what the movie was about. I also forget. Um, yeah, so I can give some, uh, I have some forgiveness for like wishy-washiness of facts because movies only have so much time to right. cover things. Of course. Um, and obviously like you want things to be a little dramatic. Like yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's a movie. And I'm sure who knows, like maybe their phone calls prior to their meetup were like that. Maybe they were strained. Maybe there were right. like some conversations. Yeah. So they compress some of the yeah. happenings into. Yeah, exactly. Compress some of the happening. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Major highlight. All right. Who this talks is, like I do every day. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm going to compress some of the happenings <laughs> and let you know how my day went. Oh, God. I don't know why I say things. Okay. Um, me a because we're getting, we're getting paid zero dollars to do it. <laughs> True. So this is a major highlight of the movie. It's a tiny side scene that I think takes three minutes or something. But Sean looked at me after and he goes, what is he talking about? I was like, rewind that. I want to hear what he's saying. So basically at this point, we're in like the 60s now and James has a conversation with his manager. He's like, hey, I just noticed when I go to play a show, the promoter gets this huge cut of my door. What the fuck? So um, at this point, uh, what's his name? Um, Not Danny DeVito. (laughs) What's his name? Who? Which character? The manager. (laughs) Fucking Danny DeVito. Ghostbusters. What's his name? Danny DeVito. Can we just call him Danny DeVito? Wait, I'm looking it up. Dan Aykroyd. 
Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I I want them to remake this movie with Danny DeVito as the manager. Sean, Sean doesn't listen to this podcast, but he just came in at the exact right moment to look at me and say Dan Aykroyd. So all is forgiven. Dan Aykroyd plays his manager and he says to him, well, James, this is how it works. We're going to a, we're going to play a show and this is how it works. <laughs> this is still it's, how it works. This is still how yeah. it works. Um, the promoter knows everyone in the area when like you book the show, they take care of all the marketing, all this, all that, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And that's especially true if you're playing at like a larger venue, like if you're playing at the garden, you're giving a promoter a cut, obviously. Um, they know how to get the word out and they know how to get the tickets sold. Um, so basically at this point we go into a scene of James Brown doing the math and going, no. Fuck this. So also like payola was a thing at the, at the time. So the radio stations would get paid to play their the record mm-hmm. and then like promote that show. So James Brown goes, we're not doing that. I'm going to go to the DJ in the area, give him like whatever dollars because he makes like zero dollars an hour. It's the 60s. He probably made like like nine cents an hour or some <laughs> yeah. shit. Yep. And the DJ's like, yeah, of course. And and I tell him to say, hey, promote my record, play my record, and then say when we're playing. And then I pay like a bunch of kids and stuff to put up posters and people in the area. Um, and I kind of pay them out of pocket. And so I'm subverting this system mm-hmm. to do my own thing because I don't want to pay a fucking promoter. Mm-hmm. And Danny DeVito, Danny, <laughs> Danny DeVito is saying to him, um, you can't do that. This is how it works. And James Brown is James Brown is like, fuck that. I'm doing it. Yeah. And he does. He he's like, James Brown, James Brown says, uh, we're doing this. And he did. He went off and he did it his own way. And he basically cut the promoter out, which does not make people happy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know if he always did that or if that was something he did sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you still have to do work to like those kids that you want to hang up posters. Like, how do you find those people? And who's who are your like boots on the ground in those cities that you're going to that are like making the posters and giving them out? And like, it's not like I'm just going to email you the file, print them like I'm going to go on Facebook to the local group of that. Like today, that's like so much more possible. But like, what the hell? Back then? Yeah, that seems like more fucking work. Can I just that's why you pay a promoter to do it for you. truly how did anyone do anything (laughs) before the internet anything i know that's a super millennial thing to say i don't give a full shit no like (laughs) literally i don't even remember how i did it i mean when we were young we i mean we've had the internet for like most of our lives but i can remember like before and it's i just but i can't i just i don't know things were simpler I've never had a job where I didn't no. have the internet. True. Um, right. No. We're no. in the age group where we can yeah. very, very much remember before the internet and very much remember after, yeah. but I've never worked without it. And tr- like, I'm an mm-hmm. accountant mm-hmm. and I truly was on, on my way up. I was getting my um, car inspected today and I was thinking, how did anyone fucking do anything? anything. Yeah. What was on your desk? What did you do? <laughs> it's like Mad Men. You watch them like, why do you, you have like a yeah. desk that's like, a pen and like paper, like what? What is even that? on even on Friends? There's <laughs> episodes where yeah. she doesn't have a computer. Yeah. Like, what are you fucking doing? What are you doing? Why did you need that gigantic desk? I cannot. 
I can't. So, but yeah, apparently he did it. And um, I guess this was the thing he did. I couldn't get a ton of information on that. I don't know if that's a lifelong thing he did, or maybe he just did it here and there. Yeah. Um. So blah, blah, blah. We see the band. They're getting more famous. Bing, bang, bong. Money, money, money. Whatever. Yeah. Um. At one point we see James buying a private jet for the band. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now we meet his new wife. And we start to get a glimpse of his home life. This is when they start to get into the domestic abuse with him a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, It shows him beating his wife in his house after Christmas because she was like showing a little cleavage. Um, And fact check. This is pretty true. I actually think they toned it down based on what I read from his daughter. Yeah. I mean, probably for television rating purposes, but yeah. It's nuts. That was so. That was his second wife. So this is his second wife second, now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And he was he was married a third time, and I don't think we even meet his third yeah, wife. I, I think don't he was remember. Yeah. Um. We see him like his behavior is getting worse. He's getting more controlling. There's a scene where he's being really controlling of his wife. Mm-hmm. Um. We see him being increasingly difficult and demanding with the band in true Dewey Cox fashion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And kind of starting to like go against bird right because yes like they were very much like like brothers like very kind of you know they were they were the duo like the whole time Mm -hmm. right they were always together and always supportive and then he sort of started to like go against him a bit yeah he was getting combative with everyone he was getting too big for his britches pretty much and yeah like he was like i'm james brown i don't know if you heard me but i'm james james brown i can do whatever i want um so 1968 um early morning april 4th shot rings out in a memphis sky um dr martin luther king jr is murdered Mm -hmm. so they had james brown and his band had a performance the day after or two days after his murder in boston massachusetts and the, the actor with the worst Boston accent ever. <laughs> <laughs> what is that guy? He's like, it's like New York. It's way more New York all, than it is Boston. It's more, it's more Rhode Island and it's more like mm. the Brahmin accent, which doesn't exist anymore. It's just. As a side mm. note, we watched this movie on a day where it rained all day and we just watched movies all day. And Sean was like, I've never seen The Town. Let's watch The Town. Oh, yeah. So we did. I'm going to make a very fucking controversial statement. Ben Affleck does the best movie Boston accent. I mean, he should. He should, but he Matt should. Damon doesn't. Matt no. Damon can straight up go fuck himself. Yeah, it's like, awful. Ben yeah. really got it and what he about stuck Mark with Wahlberg? it. No, Mark Wahlberg can eat my turd. <laughs> it's very Southy, like very yeah. like well, Dor- well, Dorchester, right? But like, yeah, that, yeah. I don't know. It's like it's a specific kind, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, he overdoes it, but, of, but Ben Affleck really has the like casual, like yeah, you know, I was hanging out with my buddies the other day, and yeah. we were doing this thing, and now we're gonna go over there, and like blah blah blah. There's no like, yeah, I don't know. It's not extraneous. like super exaggerated. You don't have to no. land every lack of an R or whatever. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um. So yeah. they had a show in Boston. 
Um, and there were obviously there were riots in lots of cities, including Boston after this, I believe, particularly in um, Southie I, or Dorchester. I can't remember. And I'm so sorry. I, I, this is something I should know. And I, I sincerely apologize. I, I can't remember exactly where the majority of the violence was happening. We're going to have to sorry, scrap this whole episode because you didn't yeah. know one thing. I did ruin history. You did. Um, so they attempted to cancel the show. Boston, the city of Boston attempted right. to cancel the show or the promoter. I actually don't know who was behind it, whatever. Um, pro- it was probably the mayor who wanted to cancel it um, due to a fear of rioting. But James insisted it went on. No, in the movie, we see him insisting it go on. Right. There's actually a whole, we could have done a whole episode just on this and maybe we should have well, done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, basically, there was some back and forth because they wanted to, the city of Boston wanted to broadcast it oh, to help reduce okay. the, the riots and people going out in the streets and stuff. Okay. Um, and there was some, and then James was, uh, James was against that for some reason. I forget what the exact reason is. Um, but among other things, so they finally decided to do it. They, broadcast it i forget exactly how but it was broadcast on pbs you can still watch it it's online to this day wow that's you can watch the whole thing wow yeah that's really amazing yeah he said we're gonna go on but then he had some questions about it and then finally he was like we're doing it um so the night before they agreed to televise it on the local pbs channel so probably wgbh i don't know yeah um and it had the exact effect that they wanted boston actually experienced reduced um crime and rioting that night yeah, as a result. Um, and during the show, and again, you can watch this, you can watch him do this online. Um, basically, James Brown single-handedly calmed the audience and got everyone to calm down and stop jumping on the stage. And uh, he just, with his own voice, basically, and his own James Brown personality, um, and he told the cops to calm down and stop throwing people. And he got everyone, he really just like calmed that crowd. It was such a volatile time for everyone. Yeah. And yeah, it's amazing. You have to watch it. It's, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I will. Um, so yeah, James Brown, Boston. Um, and I have highlighted here. I have like a thing where I write highlights and I write low light. They show James Brown on the phone with the mayor of Boston at the time. His name was Kevin White. And the Boston accent is abysmal. It is. It, it is. It's horrific. Yeah. Um, do not approve. So, no, do not approve. Should have had Ben Affleck play the guy. I mean, I, maybe that's what the guy sounded like. I didn't know him. I wasn't alive then, but I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we see them recording some hits. We see them recording I'm Black and I'm Proud, which I love that song. I love some James Brown's like later uh, 60s, early 70s kind of hits. So it's cool to see them like recording that. Um, so then Danny DeVito dies. <laughs> Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's still, it's like a whole. I just picture Danny DeVito doing the stripper in Friends. Like, <laughs> and then that character doing this character. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, his, so his manager dies and we see him clearly distraught at the funeral. Yeah. Um, he, he was, was really when he, then. when that happened, Tom was like, you know, it's crazy that like, he, and he was like, I don't know how accurate it was, but he was, he seemed like he was a manager who actually like did right by 
the artist mm-hmm. where in a lot of these biopics and a lot of real stories the manager mm-hmm. uh, for sure at least like the first manager somebody has or whatever like somebody takes crazy advantage of the artist or you know does some shady shit or is like you know stealing yeah. money or like whatever but i kept waiting for something to turn with him and he was just like no. pretty good actually like he kind of had his back like he supported him kind of tried to keep him like in line but yeah he was just interesting just very like especially in the 60s when Mm. a lot of these like entertainment laws were written as a result of like managerial overreach and yeah it seems like he was a good dude and they didn't have anything bad to say yeah so Mm -hmm. um so now at this point we see the true dewey cox the band (laughs) turns against him yeah so it does stick a little to the formula, mm-hmm. um, but they're saying we haven't been paid. We're not being given breaks. We have all these demands, blah, blah, blah. Um, he like tells fit. them that they're going to have days off and he makes them work. Yeah. Like clearly there's no like union situation and like any of that. <laughs> there's no labor laws yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. No one's calling um, them. So they kind of call him out for owing the government back taxes. Mm-hmm. They like kind of are digging on him a little. And yeah. this is true. He okay. owed the government two million dollars in shit. taxes in like 1970 Oof. so he needed he needed in like an accountant he clearly was not he did not have a Why money manager i could have been his accountant i know go back in time oh but i wouldn't have had a computer so no i can't <laughs> like that you have your abacus and I, <laughs> I wonder if that's why so many people owed back taxes back then no one <laughs> had just, a computer. like i can't i don't even have a calculator like i can't do the math i have this I ledger know. it's got one left side and one right side i just I what do you what? i don't know i carried the four i wasn't supposed to i just i don't fucking know uh <laughs> god how did people I, all right anyway do anything yeah, no. no idea so <laughs> The band quits on him. We see just his increasingly bad behavior from James Brown, which is true. His behavior started getting really um, erratic. So at this point, we see James Brown performing. So he hires a whole new band and he goes as James Brown with the super funk, which is his like, that's how I love my James Brown. If you don't Mm -hmm. mind me saying, Um, (laughs) we see them them performing like get on up super bad, all this stuff. Um, and I would just like to fucking say at this point in the movie, I have a real hard ass time telling him apart from actual James Brown. Yeah. Like, yep. So were they doing real footage in one no. of those performances? See, I thought Tom thought they were. He's like, I think this is like real footage woven in. I looked like, and maybe it was just a camera effect, but it looked I like think it's a camera. It was effect. going like in and out from like real footage to their mm-hmm. footage, which. I was like, it could be. I don't know. The recordings are him. Right. The, right. No, but it looks like Brown. it was like real footage. But yeah, I, yeah it was probably just That's cameras. all him. Um, and during the scene, he's doing like splits and dancing with the mic. And I'm like, holy shit. If Chadwick Boseman did not get a fucking Oscar for that, mm. go back in time. <laughs> give that man a fucking Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, and do his taxes, you know? get his fucking taxes together Seriously. i'm sure chadwick had his taxes together oh, he yeah. seemed like he had it together yeah um he married his long-term girlfriend right before he died oh. it made me so sad sean <laughs> um so now die <laughs> praise to pay <laughs> it's awful <laughs> 
So we see his behavior getting increasingly worse. James yeah. Brown, not Chadwick. Chadwick was a saint, mm-hmm. um, apparently. Um, he's fighting with his best friend, Bobby. Mm-hmm. Bobby essentially threatens to quit the band mm-hmm. over this bad behavior. And he like mentions, did he already or in some, somewhere in there, he mentions like doing his own thing. I remember like one of the shows he's like, yeah, I could fill this place. Like I could release my own music. And James Brown's kind of like, <laughs> what do you mean? Why would you do that? And he's like, cause yeah. like, I'm good. I could. And James Brown's kind of like belittling. It's just kind of, yeah. and it's like, I think it was just his like insecurity of like losing his guy. So he was like, I'm going to put him down so that he doesn't feel like he could, do and it that on his is own. that was really shitty. That is an abuse and manipulation it tactic. Is. It was really make, shitty. Make him feel like he can't do anything without you. Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't know the exact details of their falling out. I don't yeah. know if that's how it happened, but I do know that like basically his increasingly bad behavior made Bobby walk away from him. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if it happened in that very theater at that very moment. In that right. very way. <laughs> right. Um. But as a side note, Bobby Bird and the Famous Flames did sue James Brown in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for royalties not paid on certain recordings. You know, we heard them complaining about, like, not being paid and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, they didn't win because apparently too much time had passed. But when Jay-Z sampled one of the Famous Flames songs, he paid Bobby Bird directly 65% of the royalties. Wow. Because he knew. So, like, this wasn't a secret. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure Bobby Bird was like, people are going to know. So, remember how I said the thing about the name changing Mm -hmm. and, like, they talk about him, like, James, they show James Brown signing a deal essentially, like, without the band, with himself. So, that's kind of what went down. The band was saying, like, no, these were our songs. We wrote them. We're do them. And, like, they were skirted. So, yeah, they really got, like, screwed out of some shit. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically, so he took, so when Jay-Z made that recording, he paid Bird 65% of the royalties directly, which finally allowed him and his family to secure a mortgage on a home. So think about that. In 2001, they've been together since the 50s. Oh and in 2001, no. Bobby Bird was finally able to secure a mortgage on his home. Like, James Brown essentially just worked his band into poverty by refusing to pay them. That's horrible. Um, Yeah. Mm. So uh, this is very important. Okay. So now in the movie, at this point in the movie, we see him and Bobby split up, right? And we do one of our last flashbacks. It goes back to 1955, the scene at the Apollo where he's reuniting with his mother, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, like I said before, this isn't exactly how it happened. There was a reconciliation, blah, blah, And we see them have this conversation. And he says to her, like, you know, you weren't a real mother and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. Very important note. During this scene, after his mom leaves, he's kneeling on the ground and grasping a sink on the wall. And she- Sean and I are watching this movie screaming, <laughs> rip it off, rip it off, rip it. Oh I don't even gosh. know. He's talking to Bobby in this scene, like basically very emotional, like crying about his mother. I have no idea what they were talking about because we were screaming, screaming at him to rip the sink off the wall. I nearly shit myself. And it is at this point in the movie where it totally derails from the um, format. He does not rip the sink 
off the wall. He does not. So I fully missed this because <laughs> I was painting. This is when I was painting my nails. So I'm listening, but I'm not like I'm glancing up and whatever. But I was doing a really complicated stripe pattern. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, I false, fully missed it. Fuck. False, I, I absolutely would have been screaming because, you know, full screaming. Yeah. Both of us full on screaming and pointing at the screen. Yeah. Take that off. Do it. And then when he didn't, we were like, no. <laughs> it was the most disappointing moment of 2020 for me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so far. <laughs> um Uh, okay so we have that we have that little flashback and then we cut cut back to just exactly where we were in the movie and james brown's son died in a car accident yeah so at this point in the movie they show him self-medicating he's using drugs and this is true um he i don't know if this is when he started using drugs but um his daughter talks about in her biography how especially when he was beating his mother he was usually like high as fuck beating her behind a closed door um yeah and it was really traumatic i really recommend looking up his daughters like but she's not she's like i loved him i loved my father he was a good man and he did this and that but like there was a big problem yeah um that's like expert level compartmentalization like it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's rough yeah um so he starts self-medicating and he's using all kinds of drugs. That was true. He had some substance abuse issues, I believe in later years. Um, so then at this point in the movie, we go back to 1988 post gun wielding bathroom right. screen. <laughs> right. And he's in his um, famous high speed car chase with the cops. So this really happened. James Brown was really in a high speed car chase. My God. Back in- 1988 um yeah the cops were called they chased him down and um he peacefully surrendered and he did go back to prison at this point for how long i actually don't know i was trying to look up how long it was but it wasn't long he was there for like a brief amount of time i think he was released on bail and all this stuff yeah um highlight at this point Whoever did the fucking aging makeup in this movie. Yeah. Also give them an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. It was really well done because it would, because when it did bounce, I think I noticed it more because it bounced back and forth mm. instead of just like gradually going through the life. Because when, when it would bounce, you could really like see the comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I think after this point, I know he went to jail and he left and I know he did, Uh, get clean and sober up um and so this was about in the 90s when he got back on track with like performing he stopped using to the best of my knowledge i think he stopped using um and we see him go to bobby bird's house at this point so again it's 93 and essentially the two reconcile and he goes to him and he says um and he says Hey, come join me at my upcoming show. And Bobby basically says, no, I've moved on. You know, I have my family, like whatever. Um, I don't know if this actual scene happened between the two of them, but um, James and Bobby did reconcile and they did perform together. And like later years in their final years, Bobby would often go up and... Oh. <laughs> uh, 
a dog clearly just walked past my house. Oh yeah. Um, in their later years, my helper let them out. Um, in their later years, Bobby did go and he would perform with James Brown um, as they got older. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if that's like the exact way that they did reconcile, but he gives spot. He says, well, I'm going to give you two tickets tonight's uh, performance. Mm-hmm. That's what he says to Bobby. Bobby's like, we're not going blah, blah, blah for him and his wife. All right. Now we cut back to the very opening scene of the movie. I'm going to think about my whole life. Now I thought thought about about my whole life. Now he can perform. Yeah. Yeah. Old man, red suit, walking down the hall. Mm -hmm. Um, In true Dewey Cox, need to remember his whole life before he performs. Mm -hmm. We cut back to this opening scene. Um, He has remembered every, you know, iteration of... (laughs) Him, whatever. This is exactly what I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so this is how the movie ends. He walks out on the stage. He's at this point, he's the godfather of soul, right? We've had like the famous flames, James Brown, the famous flames, James Brown, the super funk, like so many iterations of this. Now he's the godfather of soul. Yeah. And he walks out on stage and they're playing. I forget what they're playing is his intro song, but he cuts the band off. Yeah. And then he walks up to the microphone and he starts singing, hold me just solo on his own into the mic. And we see him looking at Bobby and his wife in the audience. Yeah. It was so sweet. And I don't know if that happened. I'm going to believe it did. I like to believe it did too. It probably didn't, but because it's like movie dramatic, but like. Why not just believe it? I love a love story that's not a romantic love story. Mm -hmm. A love story about friends or siblings or something like that. That's about that bond. And so to me, that that moment was so like, and he's just singing to him. Like, I need you. I need you. Uh, And Bobby's like getting all emotional and uh, blah, blah, blah. So I wrote a fact fact check. I could neither confirm nor deny this moment (laughs) occurred. Mm -hmm. So I think it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not going to hurt anyone for us to, you know, to pretend it happened, to believe that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the end they did reconcile. Um, they did perform together. James Brown finally died in, Oh no. How did I not write down the year he fucking died in? Um, I think it was 2006. Um, and him and Bobby did perform for a few years together. Yeah. So 2006 on Christmas Eve, his mother had died just like a couple of years before. Um, and in summary, I would just like to note two things that Mick Jagger produced this movie and that no sinks were ripped off the wall. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's such a good movie, though. I truly hope you pause and wait to listen to this and go watch it. It is my favorite biopic of all time. Oscars should be retroactively given for it. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, that should probably be a thing. Like retroactive, retro Oscars. Retro Oscars. Let's start the retro Oscars. Yeah. Retro Oscars. I don't know. We'll work on that. Retro Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Because so many things just, I mean, there can only be so many awards. But, I mean, yeah, it's, 
it's amazing. It is. I'm, I'm actually impressed with how much fact that there was in it, how many mm-hmm. of the things are real. Cause you don't know, like I didn't yeah. know, you know, watching it, it's a great story. It's, it makes a great movie. So I guess, you know, even the writing, like they did a good job picking the things and stringing them together in a way that was, you know, entertaining, but also yeah. somewhat factual apparently. So, and I think yeah. when you have someone who had so much ridiculous shit happen in their life, it can be hard to figure out what was real and what wasn't. Yeah, probably. But that's why I was doing so much fact checking. I'm like, holy shit, that really fucking happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But then there are some little things. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice. we'll watch it. Yeah, rest in peace, uh, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. What what a loss. What a true true talent. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, telling the story. I mean, James Brown. What a talent. You know. Uh, many crazy, crazy gigs. I can't even imagine just like <laughs> tours and shit back then. Like I know. Yeah. Well, so that's what I had the thought right about like the Boston right after the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. I was yeah. like, Oh my God, we should do this story. And then I guess there've got to be other ones too. Yeah. of Just ridiculous crap that happened. Yeah. yeah. He led a very interesting life. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you guys let us know if you know of any others. You tell us, and then we'll research, and then we'll tell you back. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean. And with that, yeah, I guess I have to ask you what you're listening to, right? <laughs> I guess. Um, let's see. So I am listening to Sarah Bareilles released a, um, so first of all, there's a TV show on Apple TV called Little Voice. Hmm. Um and it's all her music. And that was actually the name of her first album. So, um, but she has released an album. Uh, so it's, there's music in the TV show. I wouldn't say it's a musical per se. Um, but she released uh, an album of this, of herself performing the song. So she's not in the TV show. She's not the one performing them for the show. So she released them because she wrote the songs, her versions of the songs. It's called more love songs from mm-hmm. songs from little voice session one. Mm. Um, and it's just there. Uh, she's just, her songs are just gorgeous. I'm like, I don't know how, like, I mean, she wrote waitress and there are so many gorgeous songs in waitress, the musical, and then you're writing the songs for this and it's, you're writing your own albums. It's just like, I feel like the well just doesn't run dry with her and the songs are all just perfect for, you know, their different applications. But yeah, I've been kind of digging into that and listening to it and, you know, I'm a big fan of her anyway. So I, it didn't disappoint. A lot of Sarah Sarah Bareilles fans in my life. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> on we'll all to, sides, we'll have to get Fry's take on it. I know she's a big Sarah B fan too. Sarah B, Sarah yeah. B, yeah. What are you listening to? Um, the Dirty Projectors released like a surprise EP, or maybe it was a surprise to me. I didn't see it coming. Maybe oh. everyone else knew, and I'm just garbage. Um, <laughs> but they released a surprise little EP uh, last week and uh, it's weird because it's like I think the last time they released an album was in 2012 unless I'm missing some other crap I've never heard Um, of them oh really I don't know that you would like them okay describe them to me (laughs) oh crap (laughs) if they Uh, were if they were like a cookie what kind of cookie would they be oh my god what the (laughs) fuck 
That's a good questions crockpot question. Yeah, that shit. just came right off the top. All right, you can describe I, them in real terms, not in cookie oh terms. God, I don't know. So it's indie rock, and it's very like, very like offbeat, kind of like with weird percussion, and the guy's voice is really weird. I have no idea how to. <laughs> I mean, well, you'll I think, send us songs to put in the yeah, playlist. Yeah. You've, you've listened to the, some of the things I've recommended. I'm yeah. into like really like, I don't know, kind of offbeat yeah. indie stuff. That's um, cool though. But he, um, so they released an EP, but it seems to be just him. So usually it's like the male, female, like that thing, but there's like a band, but it seems like it's just him sing, singing. So I don't know if she's not on it. Maybe they couldn't, you know, record together. Uh, I literally just put it on today, so I don't know more details about it. But it's really, it's very short. It's four songs. Um, and then I started listening to their last release from 2012, too, which I was like, oh, I'd kind of forgotten about this. So it's nice when someone releases something and then makes you listen to their old stuff on top yeah. of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, you go back. Hmm. Cool. Dirty, dirty projectors. Love it. Sweet. All right. All right. Well, I guess um, if you like what you heard, go watch Get On Up. And if you've seen it, watch it again. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. And then also tell your friends about this podcast. And if you didn't like what you heard, go rip a sink <laughs> off a wall and discuss. And then tell your enemies about this <laughs> podcast. Uh, all right. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Ugh. Watch me! <laughs> <laughs>